This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 223 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Scholars and researchers from the think tank New America recently released an education policy initiative titled Teaching Cyber Citizenship, Bridging Education and National Security to Build Resilience to New Online Threats. The report outlines challenges facing educators when it comes to preparing students for the online world, describes the broad spectrum of reasons why it's important that they are properly prepared, and provides resources and potential solutions for communities and school systems to adopt. Joining us this week are two of the report's co-authors, Lisa Guernsey, Director of New America's Teaching, Learning, and Tech Program, and Peter W. Singer, Strategist and Senior Fellow. Stay with us. really was uh, a meeting of the minds uh, report in many ways. The, the subtitle is Bridging National Security and Education. And that's because um, my my colleague and co-author on this report, Peter Singer, he's in the national security world. I'm in the education world. And the two of us were both recognizing at around the same time that there were some really big issues um, to grapple with when it comes to the way students, today's youth, but also adults um, are are taught about how to see and verify what's coming across their screens online and the social media platforms that they're experiencing. Um, and that this has real repercussions for national security, but it also has a lot of repercussions for what we're teaching students in school and how teachers are equipped to do that kind of teaching. So that prompted us to to pull this together. We are working with Cyber Florida, which is a partner on this project with us and our co-authors. Um, Nate Fisk and Jamika Anderson had a big role in this as well, but we wanted to start pulling these threads together on the national security side and the education side. Peter, can you give us a, a little sense of the lay of the land here? I mean, as, as, as you all are putting this report together, where do we find ourselves? So we obviously face major, major challenges when it comes to information threats. There's the traditional cyber threat, so to speak, hacking the networks. But we also have what I've called in the past like war, hacking people on the networks. It's the threat of misinformation, deliberate disinformation, conspiracy theory, hate speech, how that all comes together to damage our democracy, how it threatens public health, how it threatens individuals, how it expresses itself in extremism and terrorism. Um, how it's also, though, just challenging to youth if, you know, they're trying to figure out, um, I've got an assignment, uh, to do a school report on who built the pyramids and where do they go? They don't go to the world book on a shelf. They now go online. They go on YouTube. And, you know, within a couple hops, they're being told that the aliens built the pyramids and they didn't, mm. uh, for our listeners. <laughs> um, and so what, what do we do about this? And obviously, there's been a lot of discussion and work on that. In fact, there have been um, over 450 different university think tank task force projects on this, this issue of information disorder. But they tend to focus on two types of remedies, either 
legal code change or software code change? The legal code change is the, you know, break up the companies, their monopolies or change, you know, section this, section that. Um, I don't like what they're doing about free speech. It's basically that approach. The second approach is um, software code change. It's the companies themselves. Change your algorithms. Change how you're steering people information, which often means we want you to change your business model, which they're less likely to change. Um, or it's um, I change what you're regulating or not, all the way up to deplatforming people. Both of those, which again gets you know the focus of these more than 400 uh, approaches to it. Both of those are great. They're important. I've I've been part of that. But they're not enough. And what we need to remember is the role of the individual, the target of all of this. And that's what this program has really been about. It's been about um, how do we equip the individuals who are targeted by information threats to, to navigate this world? A lot of other nations um, do this pretty well. The Estonias, the Finlands of the world, the U.S., we don't. Um, and there's a variety hmm. of reasons for that. But that's what this project, the Cyber Citizenship Project, is all about is um, how do we bring together the different parties and agencies and organizations that are interested in this? And as Lisa put it, you know, there's just a massive amount of coalition building to be done. You know, we linked everything from um, members of the NSA to high school social studies teachers. You wouldn't think they'd have a lot in common, but they're all dealing with the same threat right now. Um, the other part is this research project, trying to get a, a scoping, a lay of the land. What are the threats? Where, where do we stand? And then finally, um, can we bring together the different tools to deal with this, the different curricula, uh, the different teaching tools, and how do we provide them um, to the teachers themselves? Lisa, can, can we do a little defining of terms here? I mean, what, to, what, what does the term cyber citizenship embrace? How, how broad a spectrum of things are, are we covering here? Yeah, we see cyber citizenship at the intersection of three fields that are really starting to, to come together. One is media literacy, which involves everything from algorithmic literacy to just understanding you know, authorship and who created what and why. But then the, the second field is civics and citizenship and increasingly digital citizenship. What does it mean to be a responsible participant in today's society? How do we do that online? And then the third field is cybersecurity and cybersecurity awareness. And these the, the threats that Peter's just noted and that I know your audience knows so well, they involve everything from, of course, privacy and security and encryption, but increasingly are also about um, various kind of individual actors online trying to funnel people into places where they might be seeing more and more disinformation, conspiracy theories. And so how do we understand that threat? So at the intersection of those three fields, that's where we see cyber citizenship. And it's that ability to have the resilience to understand and to to fend off disinformation, misinformation, and also increasingly malinformation, where it may be information that's, that is in fact true, but was put out there to harm, to harm others. So it's starting to really understand that full landscape. And that's what we uh, define as cyber citizenship. You know, Peter, one of the things I, I really enjoyed about the report as I was going through it is is the amount of time you spend digging through some of the history here. Um, you know, that this doesn't exist in a vacuum, that uh, when you look at the history of education in the United States, as as we have dealt with different things along the way, things that have happened along our history, we've had to make adjustments. And this is one in, in a long series of things that 
from the past that could inform how we approach things today. That's that's awesome that you liked it, and that's that's you know what I love as well. I'm just a huge history buff, and so weaving together you know everything from you know the early approaches to education in the U.S. You know why do why do we have public schools, and then how do they decide what they teach? It's a reflection of everything from the technology of that day to um, what we think is needed to function in our democracy. And that's, as you put it, that's changed over time. Um, and obviously with the rise of computers, that's been another element to it. And so we've, you know, it's been everything from how do you use your computer in school? And then that leads to how do you use it in life to hold it as, as CyberWire is about. There's a security side to this. There's people out there that are targeting me. And so that's always changed. And what we're introducing is, hey, there's another part of this updating that's needed, which comes with the rise of social media and the important role that it plays in our world for good and sometimes for bad. And that is important because one of the problems for the United States when it comes to this space, as compared to, you know, the Finlands and the Estonias that handle as well, is not just recognizing the threat, is that we have a very different kind of school system. Um, hmm. We don't have a national school system. We have a you know federal government that helps set um, approaches, but you really have, what is it, Lisa, uh, like 14,000 different school systems in the yeah, U.S., if yeah. you count it. And so in ours, you have, you know, federal government can help set approaches, can help with funding, but you also have it plays out at the state and the local level. And this is so crucial to this space because um, essentially like so much else in education, it's um, some places are doing it really well. Some places are not because either they're not paying attention to the problem or they don't have funding for the problem. But when you talk to the teachers themselves, it's a mix of everything from, hey, I need these tools to, oh, as you raise it, the standards need to be altered um, because that's what we teach towards. And that comes to, you know, what is the role of our school? And so when you look across the United States, we've got this roughly 14,000 different school systems some of them teach certain elements of cyber citizenship. You know, some might teach digital literacy skills. Others might teach the elements of the ethics, you know, about cyberbullying. Some of them teach cybersecurity threat awareness, but many of them do not teach any of those, or they teach certain elements of it, you know, or it's just spotty. Um, when do they start to teach it? Sometimes they start to teach it way too late. Of the ones that teach it, though, when you talk to the teachers, they say, you know, how do I get the best tools? How do I find the tools? And that's another core element of this program is it's not just about um, developing policy to support this, to raise the standards, but it's also about getting those tools into the right hands. And so besides this report, what we're also um, doing with our partners at Cyber Florida, which is the cybersecurity program in the um, Florida uh, state system, is we're building a portal that's going to bring together a variety of these different um, toolkits, you know, everything from video educational video games to curricula, because the teachers themselves say it's not all in one place for where I need it. You know, so what we're trying to create is an outcome where a fourth grade social studies teacher can go into that portal, find tools appropriate for fourth graders, which is different than if a 12th grade teacher goes into that portal for, say, a journalism class and finds what they need. And so that's that's really what we're after here. We're building it with Florida. It's exciting. But, um, you know, Dave, you might have heard uh, Florida is only one out of 50 states. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the next stage of this is how can we build this out to be national? How can we potentially create a version for um, foreign partners? 
One of the things that uh, I have to say was very pleasing to me is how much this report is based on research. And Lisa, can you go through and, and sort of explain to us what the research says about what works and what doesn't work when you're trying to uh, help these kids uh, acquire these skills? Yeah, so we we certainly have a good base of research. There's, of course, also a lot still to do. So I'm going to put that out there from the from the outset. But over the years, there have been studies to look at what it is that really works with different students of different ages, um, helping them build awareness of their media environments, for example, helping them gather information about where the, the sourcing of the, the material is. One thing that we've noted in this work is that this can't be just about fact-checking. Um, there, there have been some things okay, let's just tell students, here's where you get your information and we'll put them on this very narrow path and they're going to only look at this information and that alone. Well, that's not the way the world works for students today. They have their own devices. They're finding their own information in their own ways. So some of the latest research is looking more at what it looks like for students who are participating in the creation of information, sharing things on Instagram, liking things, recognizing where something's coming from, where when a meme is something that's actually been is distorting information for them. And that's some of the, the cutting edge research on this. But uh, just quickly, I'll note that in the report, we talk about some very early but really promising research on some games that have been developed. Um, so from the University of Cambridge, there's a game that's called Breaking Harmony Square. And it's a, it's a way of kind of synthesizing the experience for a, a player of what it would look like to be the creator of disinformation and to kind of put them in that place of being the bad actor. But what that helps is to build awareness of, oh, this is how someone else might want to lead me astray. Um, and by playing that game, that's led to a more awareness and understanding of what's happening online and how to build your own resilience um, and prevent being led astray. So we're seeing really interesting studies like that coming out. Um, and again, there's a, a need for so much more research. What we really want to do with this project is open up the lines of inquiry. What do we want to ask about the types of tools, materials, and teaching strategies that work? How do we want to measure that? What do we need to understand about the, the context and the various student populations that are experiencing these kinds of uh, teaching environments and, and then really get their input in it as well? You know, Peter, you, you mentioned uh, that we, there are 50 states, and, and I think it's fair to say that, that right now we are in a particularly divided uh, era for our nation. Um, and indeed, you know, one person's education is another person's indoctrination, it would seem, these days. Is it a challenge to find a, a common denominator, to find a, a starting point for this sort of thing that everyone can agree on? You know, it's a great point, and that's why I'm um... – I'm usually a pessimistic guy, but I'm very optimistic about this approach. Um, and so, you know, let's look at the challenges of mis- and disinformation. Um, you know, they're, they play out in lots of different ways. The calls to deal with them, um, get sucked into those divisive debates. Uh, so if you are expecting, uh, legal code change to solve this problem, good luck. Um, we, we have an incredibly divided uh, Congress that can't even agree on the problem, let alone the approach of it. Um, in turn, if you are looking for the platform companies to uh, you know solve this on their own, 
they're not going to. That's just the hard reality of it. Um, it's certain elements of it are part of their business model. Um, it's the way algorithms work, uh, or it's the fact that just consistently, um, and somewhat naturally, they tend to react after the problem has occurred rather than getting ahead of it. Um, when there's pernicious effects of things in the space, be it all the way back to early issues of child porn to more recently extremism or anti-vaccine conspiracy theory, whatever it is, is they often tend to react too late. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with this third space. What's great about it is that um, it's nonpartisan and it respects people's First Amendment rights. Uh, so the First Amendment rights element of it, it doesn't tell people what to say or what not to say. It's not about that. You fully respect your First Amendment rights. It's rather about equipping people with the skills to navigate this increasingly digital world safely and effectively. And those skills into the nonpartisan side, and this is why I think, you know, whether you're a D or an R, you can get after this, is that um, they matter whether it's someone who's searching for information on the news to public health to, I think we can all agree, we, we care about just our kids um, navigating a world of likes and lies, whether it's, you know, in their um, daily school life, their social life, what movie they ought to see to, uh, is, you know, use that, go back to that example of who built the pyramids. Um, mm. It doesn't fall into that, that partisan node. Um, now, there's another part of this that I think is really crucial to hit is that in no way, shape or form are we saying this is the only solution to the problem. No, it, it, it's not, but it is something that puts us in a much better place, a much better place as individuals. But also, if you get enough of people with these skill sets, you start to build a little bit more, you know, herd immunity, so to speak, um, in the, in the target space, in the society that's being targeted. It makes it harder for people who are seeking to manipulate others online to do their own job. And again, people seeking to manipulate others online, it might be a Russian information warrior. It might be an anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist, an extremist, or it might just be a company that's trying to manipulate someone online. But having a community that has more and more people with these skills puts us in a better place. It's, if we think about cyber, traditional cybersecurity parallels, you know, cyber hygiene. No one would ever say having good cyber hygiene means that, you know, we don't need an NSA or we don't have to worry about ransomware. Certainly not. But I'd much rather be in a world where people and I'd much rather be, you know, working in an organization where people are not clicking every single link that's out there. If I can reduce that, I'm in a much better space. And it's the same thing when it comes to these cyber citizenship skills. If we can build them in the U.S., we're going to be in a much better place. And you should really care about giving kids these skills, whether the kid is a, you know, a son or daughter of a Democrat or Republican. I don't care. I want the kids to have those skills. Lisa, can we talk about the educators themselves? I mean, uh, you know, most of the teachers I know are are, are overworked and, and under-resourced. Um, how do we give them the things that they need without, uh, you know, piling on one more thing for them to do? I'm so glad you raised that, Dave, because that is absolutely the case right now with our our educator workforce. Um, and there needs to be that recognition from the start. So this absolutely is going to have to be a joint and group effort. Um, school librarians have a really big role to play and want to play a big role in this so that they're supporting 
our teachers who are in the classroom and helping to find these materials for them. School librarians, in fact, we, we think will be a, a really key audience for this portal that, that Peter describes because they're often the ones that are finding materials that then can be used as supplements in classrooms. To the educators today, there is so much on their shoulders um, and, and yet they are and if we can support them as much as possible in this, we can really win because they recognize their role more and more. And they see that given how much today's students are using, again, like, you know, their own, their own phones, their own devices to be out there exploring the world, they need some, a little bit of scaffolding, a little bit of structure to understand what it is they're seeing on that, on that daily basis, on that hourly basis through their phones, through their social media um, fields, so that they can build the habits of inquiry, the habits of mind to just ask themselves some questions about what they're seeing that's coming across their news feeds and what they want to share and what they might be able to kind of participate in when in, in more responsible ways. And so teachers recognize how crucial they are as being able to support students in that way. And when they can work together to build those environments for students to talk talk about what they're experiencing online, talk about maybe a problematic meme, then they're really building new lines of communication and trust also with those students. So Building support around teachers, this means this means funding them, this means new training, this means, again, support for libraries. And sadly, school libraries are often cut from budgets. Um, we need our school librarians desperately, especially in this work. That's what's going to really help to kind of fortify our educator workforce for this. Dave, can I add two things to that? The first is um, the idea of how you need an integrated approach. So, you know, it's everything from, okay, we need to get the the tools in teachers' hands, but there's also a policy side of this, a policy side of the state, local, but all the way up to the national level. How do we, as Lisa put it, you know, it's everything from getting funding for these programs um, to getting senior leader attention to them to how we think about, is your prior question, updating our standards? Because teachers they they don't get exclusively to decide what is taught in their own classroom. They teach to what the standards are and as these all mm. often need to evolve. But this links to a second part of it as part of getting that support, as part of getting that policymaker attention is to recognize that education policy, national security policy, health policy, they're all touching upon each other right now. They're all connected, right? So this is a topic, you know, how we teach in our schools also is part of how do we protect our nation? How do we protect our nation from foreign government disinformation threats to how do we protect our nation from infectious disease where it's not just a pandemic, it's an infodemic that surrounds it. And so that's where we were hopeful that by um, framing this topic as, you know, you can't just see this exclusively as national security, or you can't just see it as a cybersecurity topic, or you can't just see it as a education topic. In fact, they connect. It also allows you to bring in um, very broader coalitions and maybe also think about the funding in a more effective manner. And that, that cuts across. That's both the, the government side, but let's be blunt. It's also about the nonprofit world side. If we all care about this problem, um, it's really interesting that, you know, over 450 of the task forces focused on one element of it and haven't focused on another element of it, which, ooh, I'll give you another data point that's interesting. When you actually 
um, in surveys of uh, reports and experts on what to do about information disorder, the most frequently recommended action item, one that the experts say, and this is from multiple different organizations, actually from a, a study that, that Carnegie did of, um, gosh, it was uh, over 80 reports from 50 different um, uh, organizations, and they found the most frequently recommended item was to raise the digital literacy of the target audience, what we're talking about here. So it's the most frequently recommended, and yet it's the one that gets the least amount of policy attention, the least amount of funding, whether it's from government or from the nonprofit sector. So there's huge opportunity here if we just get our act together. What are the next steps then? I mean, you you, you mentioned that you've been uh, you've been spinning up the the cyber citizenship portal. Um, how do you see this spreading out across the nation? I'll jump on that first, um, Lisa, and, yeah. and please yeah. please jump in. So, uh, we're um, there's a couple elements that are ongoing. The one is the portal's being built, and we're planning for it to be launched. Uh, Certain elements of it are already out there, but to be launched in time for the upcoming academic year. Now, it, reflecting um, our, our great partners at Cyber Florida, you know, its primary focus is on um, you know aiding Florida K through twelve teachers. That though points to the opportunity, and that's where you know we're out with our little tin cup in hand, but also on the policy side push, where it's okay. Can we both elevate this, but also build out so that it is um, tailored in new ways for States that have slightly different standards, um, national version, as I mentioned, maybe uh, um, also you have an issue of um, different languages, which uh, applies both inside the United States, you know, which are English language versus Spanish language tools, but equally that could be useful. I was speaking with a, a education official in the Dominican Republic. They were actually, they, they were cybersecurity. Uh, they, they were originally talking about how do we teach cybersecurity in our schools? And they're like, yeah, but our real problem isn't just, you know, people clicking links. It's how do we teach this side of it? And so, if you could expand to hit other languages, you know, again, there'd be so much goodness that comes out of it. We're also um, coalition building, um, you know, adding more and more partners. And then what we want to do is continue that policy push and also hit more of the research elements. But, you know, this doesn't just happen organically. There's been a um, kind of an experiment that was put together between New America, where we're at, and Cyber Florida. The experiment worked. Uh, the question is, do we move forward with it? And I'll just jump in to add that that portal um, will be available and there's parts of it you can already see at cybercitizenshipeducation.org. And that'll bring you to some of the information about the portal and about the, the partnership with Cyber Florida. We also um, are building a community of, of educators, of librarians and teachers and researchers. And so you can find out more about it through the, the portal as well. But we really feel like scaling this as Peter described, you know, certainly for, for Florida educators, there's a lot there. There's already, in fact, a lot there for national for, for educators across the across the country um, because so many tools can be used in classrooms no matter where you are. Um, and so educators will be able to find those tools. But what we need to do is have more teachers telling teachers, school leaders telling school leaders, um, state governments funding and providing training for more teachers to, to explore how to use these tools in their classrooms. And I think that's really going to help us um, build much more awareness of this as well. Our thanks to New America's Lisa Guernsey and Peter W. Singer for joining us. The report is titled Teaching Cyber Citizenship, Bridging Education and National Security to Build Resilience to New Online Threats. 
Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.